and sometimes I'm crying. So it's the full range. And um, I really, really appreciate your comments and your stopping by the channel. And um, I've, I'm really enjoying interviewing people lately, too. I'm figuring out that I like doing that as well. And my whole thing is there's no one right way to do anything. So I love sharing all the different perspectives. And um, thank you, thank you so much for your support out here. And uh, I'm going to continue on my hippie search <laughs> in the next few days. I am in Fairbanks right now, by the way, and I'm going to Seattle. And I don't know whether we're more excited about the Space Needle or going to see Bruce Lee's gravesite. Oh, my God, we're so excited. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Hey, thanks for the call, Anne-Marie. I uh, I used to work at the Space Needle. I was a uh, a street performer that got hired on by the city to perform at the uh, base of the the Seattle at Seattle Center at the base of the Space Needle. And wow, you're going to check out Bruce Lee's gravesite. That's awesome. Now, a little known fact: if you say his name, Bruce Lee. Blue Sri, if you say it five times really fast, he'll actually rise from the dead. All right, be safe up there. Aloha. Hey, Z, it's Patrick. I don't know if you're interested in my ramble uh, on what I found possibly was the meaning of Tatsu, but uh, I tried to answer your question on my station the best I could, but I still have questions myself. What's new, right? But so... Bear with the ramble. I appreciate it, and uh, I'll talk to you. Peace. All right. Toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasmosis is a disease that results from infection with the Toxoplasma gondii parasite, one of the world's most common parasites. Infection usually occurs by eating undercooked contaminated meat, exposure from infected cat feces or mother and child transmission during pregnancy. Toxoplasmosis may cause flu-like symptoms in some people, but most people affected never develop signs and symptoms. For infants born to infected mothers and for people with weakened immune systems, toxoplasmosis may cause serious complications. If you're generally healthy, not pregnant, and been diagnosed with toxoplasmosis, you probably don't need any treatment other than conservative management. If you're pregnant or have lowered immunity, you may need medical management to avoid severe complications. The best approach, though, is prevention. More recent research from Scientific American regarding the effects of toxo in mental health. Rage disorder linked with parasite found in cat feces. Toxoplasmosis may alter brain chemistry in people exhibiting, exhibiting bouts of explosive anger. Now what's really interesting is more recent studies are adding a growing body of evidence suggesting that toxoplasmosis, usually a mild or non-symptomatic infection from a protozoan parasite, called Toxoplasma gondii, may somehow alter people's brain chemistry to cause long-term behavior problems. Previous studies 
have linked toxoplasmosis to schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, impulsivity, and suicidal behavior. Yeah, I first heard about toxo on a Joe Rogan podcast. So yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, not being afraid to die would certainly reek of a um, a disorder of the brain, a mental disorder that I think uh, many of us have. It's just an interesting little FYI, a little integrity radio factoid. I was listening to your cast, and I'm I feel like the message is kind of scattered in so many different directions between your caller and, and, and yourself. I understand what you're trying to say about religions in one point. You know, they're basically just a manifested organization of controlling people and their ideas, more like being a sheep herder and a, or a shepherd and, a, and sheep. Um, yeah, I, I think that religion nowadays has is the source of many wars and many disagreements. And if we stop partaking or participating in those ideals, then we won't have as many problems. But it it always goes back to someone always wants to be in charge, and people can't handle getting along really with one another. Well, that's just my personal opinion, and that's what I thought. All right, I got to talk about this while the memory is still there. Um, the band you just heard is Killing Joke. And um, I was in a band called M Factor in Philadelphia. And we played uh, in this band, uh, in this club. It was a church that was turned into a club. It was called Revival. Um, and uh, And yeah, they played the night before we played. <clears throat> and in the dressing room, they, uh, well, we found a box of t-shirts, and, uh, I'm not quite sure if those were left behind on purpose, or, um, <clears throat> it was a mistake, but, uh, we had accosted them and distributed them amongst, uh, all us punk rockers at the time, and, um, yeah, I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but it was the best idea. Uh, it was the best mistake because, um, you know, all of us in Philadelphia were walking around with Killing Joke uh, t-shirts on. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually start listening to their music until well after that event. You know, when people think of the 80s, they're not thinking of the 80s that I was living in because... I was living in the 80s of uh, Killing Joke and King Crimson and Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, Gang of Four. See, you never heard of those bands. Those were the cool bands, not the ones that everybody was sold and marketed to. Poets, philosophers, and seers have always concerned themselves with the idea of a true self, and the betrayal of the self has been a typical example of the unacceptable. From its beginnings over 500 years ago, the ideal of authenticity has been embedded in the value system of modern Western civilization. Shakespeare's words, to thine own self be true, 
reflect as well as any others what authenticity has meant to the Western mind. Each of us, according to this ideal, has our own path to tread, but despite its significance in the West, very few people live up to the ideal of authenticity. To shy away from the task and to seek comfort in conformity is far more common. In this video, we'll explore what it means to live authentically and the benefits of doing so. If the ideal of authenticity is to have any merit, a true or real self must exist, at least as a potentiality within each of us. While such a conception of the self may seem vague and indefinable, numerous thinkers have attempted to elaborate coherent positions regarding its existence. The psychiatrist Donald Winnicott conceptualized the true self as the source of one's spontaneous and creative energies, the sort of which are abundant in children at play but often repressed in adulthood. William James likewise envisioned the true self as the palpitating inward life, while the psychotherapist Karen Horney described it as the alive, unique, personal center of ourselves, the only part that can and wants to grow. The task of living authentically has two elements. First, we must become aware of the existence of our true self, a task which requires self-reflection and introspection. And secondly, we must express this true self in our day-to-day -day lives. Taking these actions may be necessary to live a fulfilling life, for as the Gospel of Thomas says, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. In the lives of most, however, the true self is denied and given little opportunity for expression. Rather, in response to feelings of insecurity and vulnerability, or a general apprehensiveness about life, many people develop what is called character armor, or a false self. Character armor is formed due to the fear that our true self, being an expression of our uniqueness, will be rejected and perhaps ridiculed by others. While protecting us from such threats, the formation of character armor is done at the cost of cutting us off from the feeling of being alive. Only the true self can be creative and the true self can feel real, wrote Donald Winnicott. The existence of a false self results in a feeling unreal or a sense of futility. The more one allows their true self to be masked by a false self, the more it becomes deadened and ineffectual, and the more one begins to fall victim to what Soren Kierkegaard called the biggest danger, that of losing oneself. Kierkegaard discussed the various ways in which one can succumb to the spiritual sickness of losing oneself in his book The Sickness Unto Death. One of the primary ways is to suppress one's real self by succumbing to an extreme identification with society. Instead of facing up to the challenge of living authentically, that is, individually and creatively, most people find it much safer and easier to lose themselves in the crowd. What we call worldliness, Kierkegaard wrote, simply consists of such people who, if one may so express it, pawn themselves to the world. They use their abilities, amass wealth, carry out worldly enterprises, make prudent calculations, etc., and perhaps are mentioned in history, but they are not themselves. In a spiritual sense, they have no self. The German philosopher Martin Heidegger likewise took note of the tendency of human beings to flee from what he called the authentic ability to be self into the comforts of conformity. Heidegger observed that our normal, everyday mode of existing is a form of inauthenticity he called falling. One of the main ways we fall is by existing as das Mann, which is German for the one or the they, as in one simply doesn't do things like that. 
Dasman represents the anonymous or average member of the social group, and thus the modes of thought, belief, and behavior which are considered normal and expected. When we exist as Dasman, we allow our experience and behavior to be shaped and determined by what one says, one thinks, or one does. We do not say what we see, wrote Heidegger, but rather the reverse. We see what one says about the matter. To extricate ourselves from our tendency to think, behave, and live as one does, Heidegger advised we transform the attitude we hold towards death. Generally, we do not face up to our own death, but instead we evade it in a myriad of ways. We tell ourselves that death is not relevant to the living, and that to think about it is morbid and a waste of time. Or we relate to death impersonally. We recognize that others die and that one day we will too, but we tell ourselves, for the time being, not yet. In other words, we fail to recognize both the importance of death in our life, as well as the ever-present possibility of it. To remedy this, Heidegger recommends cultivating what he calls resoluteness toward death. He advises running ahead toward it and relating to it with anticipation, that is to say, of living with an awareness of the importance of death and of the fact that our end could come at any moment. Adopting this stance is what Heidegger calls being towards death. Such a way of being is difficult. The more aware we are of the omnipresence of death, the more anxiety we invite into our life. Being towards death, Heidegger explains, is essentially anxiety. Yet for Heidegger, this anxiety is also the key to freedom and authenticity. In existing as Das Mann, we take the values of our society for granted and immerse ourselves in social roles and societal games. To use Heidegger's terminology, we tend to do what one does without question. When overcome with a mood of anxiety, on the other hand, the ways of the world no longer seem normal and familiar, but strange, unintelligible, and meaningless. Our thoughts about what one does, and thus what is expected of us, appear absurd and tend to vanish and we are left free to reflect upon what matters most to our existence, to choose our own original path, in short, to live authentically. Or as Heidegger wrote in Being and Time, the anxiety stimulated by being towards death individualizes me down to myself. Yet Heidegger did not think we could escape the grips of Das Mann once and for all. An authentic existence is not something that can be accomplished and forgotten about, rather, our deep-rooted tendency to conform requires we confront this challenge anew each day, and while most will shrink from this task, the few who welcome it will be greatly rewarded. For as the poet E.E. E. Cummings wrote, To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight, and never stop fighting. Entitled to stay alive if you really commit yourself and all your experiences to, uh, to other human beings. In a very, very complex and complete out and out way, I told you how much impressed I was with principles of the idea of preceptionally, going off 90 degrees, did not seem to be. I'm hungry,
well, it seemed very logical. But Nevin tried, and so all my contemporaries were tied up with African living. And I said, I, I think this is just what we ought not to do. We ought to say, what do my friends teach me needs to be done, which is not done, for science will society and bring trouble. It is a tendency to what is that? other people's thinking, trying to play games, and you didn't have your heart really in them. So that this, this is going to be a very new kind of discipline. And you're going to have to be absolutely trustworthy that you really are committing yourself to other people. There's no cheating on this thing. Not this, this way you arrange not to kill yourself now, and then, then you're going to start cheating on it. You're going to have absolute conviction that, that, that uh, you'll be able to challenge through for your full lifetime. Well, I asked myself quite a number of things, and then number one, I said, all right, you've seen all, you've, you've experienced an enormous number of human beings who are deeply moved by their, their religions. They've been taught by their families. They belong to very large, great religions, a great river. And I said, all right, I've got the number one question you're going to have to ask yourself is, if you're going to do your own thinking and give up, this means giving up all belief. Not because you believe very things, that's all this, uh, all uh, I said, I'm going to have to give up all those things. I've got to start absolutely from experience, experiential base. So I said, do you have any personal experiences which give you reason to have to assume some greater intellect operating in the universe than that of man? I have to, I'm just overwhelmed by the evidence of that. These generalized principles themselves which can only be intellectually detected, and they're only they're utterly intellectual. They're, they're weightless. They're, 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 a generalized case is absolutely intellectual. And there's an integrity to all these principles that all interaccommodated so that I'm overwhelmed by an a priori greater intellect operative. I'm going to talk more about this on, on, the, on Friday. But I, I just want to, that was very one of the important questions right at the outset. So I said, then I'm, I'm going to assume that I really, in doing my own thinking, I'm going to try to understand whether I am really, whether a great intellect thinks it is worthwhile to carry on. Well, I, what what be, would be the requirements of, of a comprehensive integrity of your in looking out for all your man, in looking out for your right? Why have you generalized measures? What is your self-right So obviously you went and did something fun last month that I didn't get to do. Ah, yeah, I made a hell of a trip out of it. But yeah, I, I, I got to go to TAM. Um, I got to be a fanboy for a bit, you know, uh, meeting some people that I'd been looking forward to meeting for, for months. I mean, uh, James Randi wasn't in Florida when I went to do the Darwin Day thing. He was supposed mm -hmm. to be there. 
Uh, initially, when they sold me on the idea, they said that, they, that he and I were going to be sitting together as luminaries at the fundraising dinner. It didn't happen. But I did finally get to meet him up there. It was a great thing. He's a really sweet guy. Um, and uh, the, the remarkable thing was that when I, when I was going to meet him, and I, I see him just standing a few feet away and nobody's bothering him, oh, that's James Randi, and I can't get to him because other people were coming up to take pictures with me and shake my hand, and, and he was just kind of standing there stroking his beard watching this going on, so that was kind of cool. Good times. Yeah. I got to go to TAM uh, 7 last year, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit, you know, we're lining up some callers and telephone numbers up, and we'll, we'll start taking callers here in just a couple minutes. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what you thought about the amazing meeting, um, what, what you thought the highlights were, and anything that you, you know, thought they might have been able to improve on or change or anything like that. Well, I got, I, I didn't get, um, as we were talking about before, I didn't get a lot of education out of it. Uh, I did see a couple of things that were addressed that, um, one of which I thought should be, and another one I had a little bit of a objection to. One, they, um, somebody was speaking, and I, and I got so confused because I had so many things going on, I was in and out the whole time. But somebody had mentioned about being vitriolic to believers and people of faith. And, I, and I'm completely down with that message. There's absolutely no reason to be hostile. Uh, as you are a great example of this, I, I think I am to a lesser degree, and many Wait, other I'm people... But I'm a great example of being hostile? Well, I'm, I'm getting to a point. Okay. <laughs> the most outspoken advocates yeah. of rational thinking, of skepticism, of, of this sort of philosophy of... You know, believing things that are not you know, that are that are based on reason as opposed to faith. The greatest proponents of this type of thinking are all ex-believers. Most of them are ex-creationists. So, any of you, when you, when you get into a debate, and people ask me all the time whether there's any purpose in debating theists, uh, you know, online on YouTube and uh, uh, Usenet or what have you. Yes, there's a value to it because every now and again, some people's minds do change. And when they do, that person that you're debating with, the one that you might be tempted to throw hostilities at right now, might well turn into an ally later on. People that I have gotten into hostile debates with have posted comments to me maybe a year or so later saying, you know, it took me a while to figure it out, but you were right, and they're now advocating the same position. Bear that in mind, that it is a, that, that is an eventuality, and try to keep the vitriol down, because that very often may be the only thing holding them back from realizing that their position is unstable and, and not on solid ground. Yeah. And I've talked about this a lot lately, uh, both at the blog and Facebook postings, um, and I probably won't dig into it too much because we, we do want to get on to callers, uh, but this idea of, of theism and, and atheism and how they relate with skepticism. There's been a lot of discussion about, you know, uh, atheism is not a, you know, proper subset of skepticism and, and vice versa, or, or that skepticism is, is not the mother set for atheism. And, and, and they're right, it, it, it's not. And I've never said that somebody couldn't be uh, both a skeptic and a theist. Um, I was a skeptic long before I became an atheist. The difference, or the point that I would make, is that I wasn't skeptical about my theistic beliefs. At the time that I was a skeptic and a theist, it's because I wasn't uh, applying uh, skeptical ideals to my theistic beliefs. And my primary objection to this thing that I've dubbed the skeptic schism uh, has been that there seems to be a contingent of the skeptic community who, in order to 
they, they seem to want to go too far, in my opinion, uh, to keep the peace or, or misportray some people's views by saying, yeah, there are theists who are skeptics, and we understand that not everybody necessarily agrees on that, but let's kind of cut them some slack and, and let's not address that. And I'm like, my, my, my primary position is, it's not like I'm going to run and get in their face and, and you know smack them around and what the hell are you thinking and why haven't you why haven't you given up this nonsense yet it's, it's absurd but likewise nothing is beyond question there are no sacred cows there's nothing that we shouldn't be able to to examine critically um, this assertion that you know there's no testable claim so there's nothing to look at is nonsense uh, if we've learned anything from skepticism it is that if a claim is untestable you could not possibly produce sufficient evidence to justify believing it and therefore what skepticism has to say about untestable claims is they are not believable. And that's the only thing you know, that, that I would ever actually say um, about m how my skepticism led to uh, atheism. You know, I, I get accused all the time of, of arbitrarily dismissing you know, a possibility. Yeah. Despite the fact that miracles are impossible by definition, you know, and that God technically is not physically possible because the only way that we can indicate him is by something that defies all natural laws. Right. Technically, it's not a possibility, but I, I, I open my parameters even to that. Now, they tell me that I'm dismissing a possibility, um, but in fact, I, I don't have to dismiss what has never been indicated. Right. And I don't understand why people can't get they Bring me a reason to open up, the, you know, show me something that indicates that, and I'll accept it. You don't even or I'll at least to. entertain the idea. Yeah, you don't even have to get to the point where 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 you ever mention that you know by definition miracles are impossible because all we're really saying is you have something that you think is a miracle. You need to demonstrate it so that we can investigate it. Now, you know, I'm I'm of the I'm of the, of the opinion, the default position that even if even if this phenomenon that you're going to identify, if it actually does occur, it's not in fact a miracle, even if it's something that we perhaps can't understand or necessarily explain. But the first step is to actually demonstrate that there's that there's a there there. And yeah. for some reason, they can't get past that first block. Yeah, I, and, and somebody told me that I was that I had a presupposition yeah. that there was nothing but the material, and I said, no, 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 no. In fact, I actually believe that there is a great deal more to the universe than we have ever perceived. I will not speculate what it is. I have no idea. I suspect it's there, and I bet that when we find out what it is, it will be better, grander, more spectacular, and more interesting than anyone's notion of a god. Yeah. When I was a kid, I started doing magic, and I loved it. About how to think more clearly about the world, about how to understand it. This man was at the forefront of everything. greatest magicians, performers, escape artists, thinkers ever.
James, James, the amazing Randy, Randy, Randy.
listening to Integrity Radio.